0: And so I want to give you, uh, tell you guys a little bit of a story. So when I was a kid, I was given a nickname. And that nickname was the policeman. And you would think uh, of the day, I'm the one who saves the day. I'm the guy who uh, gets the bad guys and wins. And this nickname wasn't given to me by my peers, uh, which can sometimes be a nickname that's not super positive. But it was actually given to me by like teachers and just adults that kind of knew me. And although uh, that should be a really awesome nickname to receive as a young boy, it wasn't necessarily given because I was a hero of the day or I was really, like, super great at that, but it was because I really, 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 really loved the rules. I loved them. And if you were to break the rules or if you were to bend the rules, it was the deepest injustice in my life. And I felt the responsibility and I felt the calling to like call you out for breaking the rules, to tattletale on you. And so because of that attitude, I was given the nickname policeman. And that need for following the rules or that natural tendency to follow the rules is actually still a default of mine. And I'll just say, like, I really do love the rules, I do. I love rules. They're structure. They're things that make me feel safe. I feel secure when I know the rules. Uh, I know how to succeed if I know the rules. But I realize that there are some of us who aren't quite wired like I am, that there are some anarchists in the room today, that you guys don't just follow those rules, but you need the why behind the rules, And I really commend you guys, and I appreciate you guys, and I need you guys, because you guys make me think deeply and reflect on why I do what I do. And so I found myself in tension with my sermon topic this week as my natural tendency of the policeman. And I'm excited to finish off our series uh, of Not Mine, and the title of this morning's message is Not My Talents. And I felt the tension because when I asked myself the question, why must we be stewards of our talents? My response was, well, we steward our talents because that's what we're supposed to do. Like, that's what, that's what we're supposed to do, and so we just do it. But that explanation, that reason is actually incredibly insufficient, and I realized that. And so the question that I needed to ask was, why is stewarding our talents something that we do? And so this morning, I'm not here to be the policeman Uh, of if we're stewarding our talents, but I believe scripture reveals to us the inspiration behind why we steward our talents. And when we hear the word talents, we often think of ability. Can we sing? Are we good uh, with organization? Are we gifted with kids? Are we great on the sports field? And although that's uh, great and those are our talents that God has given us, I believe, I don't think it's exactly what's meant by talents, and so I want to go on a journey this morning to answer the why behind stewarding our talents. And so if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Investi- or stewarding our talents is an investment in eternity. Stewarding our talents is an investment in eternity. And so this morning, we're going to look at a story told by Jesus in Matthew chapter 25. And it's uh, in verses 14 to 30. So if you want to flip with me there, and if you're here this morning and you've never had a Bible and you need a Bible or want a Bible, uh, feel free to go to myevangel.church forward slash Bible, and we'll give you a couple of resources to either get uh, a digital Bible or to have a a real Bible in your hand. And so if that's something that you've never had but want, uh, feel free to do that. We would love to, to put a Bible in your hands. So Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 to 30. It says, for it will be like a man going on a journey... Who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. And then he went away. He who has received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scatter no seed, then you, ought to have known, or, then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast a worthless serpent into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you give us a gift uh, of being able to use what you've created us to be to serve your kingdom. God, I pray this morning that if my words are in any of this moment, that they would fall so quietly so that your voice speaks so clearly to our hearts. God, I pray that we would... um, be inspired by your word to make great investments in eternity, not just for our eternity but for those who who don't know you yet. So Jesus we love you and we thank you and pray us in your name. Amen. So in this passage Jesus's life and ministry on earth is coming to a close and he begins to teach his disciples about uh, when he's coming again in his second coming and he talks about the posture that believers should have as they wait for him to return. And immediately before this parable, there is another parable about how he must continually be preparing for his return rather than following, or falling into complacency. And so we jump into this story this morning when he tells uh, this parable that we just read about talents. And so the previous parable is about prior preparation, but this one speaks to what we do in our present. And stewarding our talents in the present is an investment into eternity, and just to be clear, when I said that talents is not maybe exactly what we are thinking here, in the first century, talents was actually an amount of money that was given. But for this parable, uh, the word talents is used in terms of the gifts that God has given us, the overall makeup of who we are in Christ, and our spheres of influence. And so as we read the story, we see that one of the servants was given five talents, one was given two, and one was only given one. And immediately when you read that, you're like, well, that's kind of unfair. Like, why did that guy get five and I only got one? Like, what qualifies that guy for five but me only two? And when we look at this passage, we see actually that every talent was a gift. None of it was based on our own merit in the first place. And if we compare our gifts, our abilities, and talents, it takes our eyes off of the main thing, which is serving Jesus, and it puts it back onto ourselves. So we we take our eyes off of Jesus, and we say, well, I only have one. Mine is only one, and his is only five, and his is five. And so it takes our eyes off of the main thing. And we see my gifts, my abilities, my limitations, and so on and so on. And the reality is none of us are actually qualified anyways to hold these talents or to steward these talents, because in our sinful nature, we shouldn't actually even be partners in God's plan. And yet, because God is gracious and because he's merciful to us, he allows us to be a part of those plans. And so any part that we get to play in partnering with God's plan is a gift, no matter how big or small we perceive it. Because every part of it is meaningful and every part of it is necessary. And the truth is you actually can't shoulder the unique giftings, abilities, and place in the body of Christ of someone else. Because God has created each of us uniquely, and he's created each one of us with a specific purpose. And so our culture, I think, often makes us feel like we have to be experts at everything. And that if we're not, then we somehow are, like, failing or behind the curve, or we're stunting our ability to be successful. And I know I felt that, where there's this need that we don't just maybe have that one thing that we, like, are good at, and we do, and that's how we like make our, make our way. But we seem to have this culture where we need to be experts at everything that we do. And I think that scripture actually challenges that idea when it comes to the kingdom of God, because there's actually great freedom in knowing that we are limited. There's great freedom in knowing we are limited, because it takes away that constant need to perform, and it takes away that, that shame that we feel if we maybe are not that expert at every single thing. And I think sometimes we try and become experts at everything, and we actually miss out on what God has actually asked us to do and designed us to be with the gifts and influence that he has given us. And I think this has created kind of like an existential crisis or like a, a crisis of our purpose. A church where we don't even know what gifts and abilities God has given us because we're so busy comparing and accumulating other ones as a, and as a result, we actually become paralyzed from doing anything effective because we're so focused on getting that gift and that gift and being still in that and being an expert there and being an expert there and there that we actually miss out on that very thing in front of us that God is asking us to do because we're like, well, I can't do that because I have to be an expert in this over here. And then we become paralyzed from actually being effective at all. And so this doesn't mean that we shouldn't seek to improve or add skills or grow But it should ease the anxiety that you don't have to be it all. You don't have to be it all. That is why we have this community of believers here. It's because we don't have to be it all, and the person beside us doesn't have to be it all, but we have to be what we're we're created and called to be so that we, as a community of believers, can ensure that all of those places and gaps can be filled. And if we believe that stewarding our talents is an investment in eternity, then I hope that there is freedom in knowing that trying to make an investment with somebody else's skills and abilities and talents and influence actually ends up robbing you and it ends up robbing them because you're created for a different purpose than that person and i think that so often we talk about growing in our capacity and where we talk about the capacity of one being large and me maybe feeling like our capacity is small and i've asked so many times of mentors how do you grow your capacity or how do you grow the capacity of somebody else and every time i've asked that question to be honest i've got i've received a response of i actually don't know but as i read this scripture i see that our capacity has the op- the ability and opportunity to grow if we remain faithful to what, is God, to what God has given us right now. And so I think the, the idea that we need to have is to stay in your lane. And what I mean by stay in your lane is if you continue on that path that God has set before you in the way that he has created you, that that capacity that you may feel is smaller than that other person's begins to actually grow because God sees that you're faithful in what he has given you already. But the point of this parable is not that one servant received more talents than the other. And if we believe that our stewarding our talents is an investment in eternity, then the point of this parable is actually about what they did with the talents that they were given. So it's not about the amount of talents, but it's what they did with it. Because stewarding our talents has little to do about our capacity and much to do about our faithfulness. Stewarding our talents has, much, has little to do about your own capacity and much to do with your faithfulness. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines faithfulness as someone who has a firm and constant devotion to something to which he or she is united by. And I love this definition because of the two words that it uses. The first one is firm and the second one is constant. In our devotion to something, and I would add not that I'm qualified to add to the dictionary necessarily, but I would add, or someone. So something or someone that they are united by. And there is a sense of resolution that that we see in this definition of faithfulness, that whatever it takes, whatever it takes, I will remain constantly devoted to that person who is Jesus. And we see the same resolution in the servants in our story. It says, at once, that first servant went out to steward these talents the master had given him. And I love the sense of urgency, and I find it so fascinating in this, in this servant. Because did this servant know exactly what to do with that talent that he had been given? Probably not. Did he have his investment plan all sorted, all organized, all in like a Google spreadsheet? Probably not. Did he have all of the steps of his business plan of investment all mapped out and ready to submit? Well, no, because he was just given this and then at once he went out to to steward it. And I think it's an easy excuse that I have used before that, well, I can't start serving because I don't have blank figured out. Well, I can't start serving because I don't have my schedule worked out, so I can't commit. Well, I can't start serving because I don't have my family sorted out. Or I can't start serving because my finances are in a, in, a, in a rut right now. Or I can't start serving because I haven't got my marriage completely figured out. But can I tell you this morning that if you're waiting to have everything figured out before you start stewarding the, God, the gifts that God has given you, you'll actually never start serving. Because we never will have it all figured out. And so let's go back to our definition of faithfulness. It's someone who has a firm and constant devotion to something to which he or she is united by. You know what that definition is missing? It's missing the word perfection. It doesn't say anything about perfection, but it says everything about devotion. And I think that's what we need to know this morning is that our faithfulness is not predicated. It doesn't start with our perfection but it starts with our firm and constant devotion. And I hope that's a freeing moment for you to understand that Jesus doesn't want your perfection when you serve. He just wants you to start serving and to be constant and devoted and firm, which means that when you do fail or when you do fall or when it doesn't go the way that you planned, that that devotion is still there because it's firm and it's constant and it's not a held together by perfection. And if we jump back into the story, we see that the servants made their investment, or at least some of them did. And now, I'll be honest, I don't know much about investing. Um, I'm new to this whole, like, having money thing. Uh, But I do know that investing is never risk-free in our world. It's a constant battle between risk and reward, and there's always the potential in our investment to just lose it all. That's it. Toast. Didn't work out. But can I tell you that this is actually not the case with investing in the kingdom of God? This is not the case in investing in the kingdom of God. There is not an option to lose everything. Will it require sacrifice? Yes. Will it sometimes require us to reorient what we value? Yes. Will it require us to die to ourselves? Yes. Will it require us to risk something? Yes but i believe that even if we don't see any reward from serving on this side of eternity that god still sees it that if we don't see a reward right now that that doesn't mean that investment have, we had lost it all but i believe that some of us here will only see the reward of stewarding our talents when we reach eternity with jesus when we reach eternity with jesus There are some things that we will steward our talents in here on this earth that we will never see the reward of until we get to heaven or until Jesus returns. But the reality is, even if it's not something that we can see in our immediate, that that investment into eternity is one that won't fade. It's one that will never deteriorate. It is one that will never lose its value. It is one that will never uh, become lackluster, and it will be one that is secure in Jesus. And I think that's a pretty great investment that we get to make. And if our hearts are postured in humble service, I do believe that eventually we'll receive a reward, but it might take us till eternity with Jesus to see it. And so if we see that stewarding our talents is an investment in eternity, then our investment, I think, looks like faithfulness in action And so the first two servants at once went out and brought back a 100% return. Pretty good return on investment right there. But the servant who was given one talent decided he would take a different route. He instead decided simply bury his talent in the ground and play it safe. And as somebody who is like incredibly risk averse, as somebody who uh, doesn't like to really take those risks, I was like, at first I read it, I was like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Like you're burying it. Like, It's in the ground. That's good. Nothing can, like, happen to it. No big deal. Uh, And so as somebody who's risk-averse, I was like, yeah, like, I, I could, like, I could follow that. I could track with that. But here's the thing. We see with this servant that the fastest way to lose what God has entrusted to you is not to risk everything for him, but is to simply do nothing with it, to bury it, and to keep it hidden. And I think the parallel is pretty clear And I want to encourage each one of you this morning that if you're sitting here and you have this like nagging feeling or this building sense of anxiety that you actually don't have any gifts or skills or abilities or spheres of influence to be able to steward your gifts with, then I hope that scripture encourages you today. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, For we are God's masterpiece, for you that are feeling that nagging feeling like you have nothing to offer, for you are God's masterpiece. He has created you anew in Christ Jesus so that you can do the good things He planned for you long ago. You are God's masterpiece. It's, such a, it's a verse that we hear often, but I truly want that to sink in this morning. He has created you not to be His robot, not to be His little puppet that He plays and that you have no control, but to be His creation. To be His creation, which is alive, to be His creation, which is unique to be his creation, which is important and valued in this world. And doing good things or serving Jesus is part of our purpose when we are created anew in Jesus. And so if you're feeling today like you're maybe lacking some purpose, if you're feeling that negative of, of doubt that you have anything to offer, maybe you're missing just serving as, as that piece of your purpose that you're perhaps looking for this morning. Because you have gifts you have abilities, and each one of you has spheres of influence for a reason. And so I pray that God would open our eyes to what those gifts and abilities and spheres of influence are. And as we look back into the parable, at first, burying the talent seems like a pretty smart choice. You don't leave anything, you don't lose anything by keeping it buried. But the thing is, the first two servants experienced growth by suing the talents, and the other one didn't. And that's because things that are alive are growing, and things that are dead are buried. And so my hope is that as we steward our talents, as we invest in eternity, that we each grow as a result of it. And that's what happens, isn't it? We see the servants who steward the talents well actually receive more than what they set out with. But I want to remind us, the point is not to accumulate more, more influence, more skills, more abilities, more spheres of influence, which you're like, didn't, didn't you like literally just say that? But the, that's not the ultimate point. The ultimate point is to expand God's kingdom as we invest in eternity. The point is not to accumulate more for us, but to accumulate more for his kingdom. To expand and grow in this world. And isn't it interesting that the parable of the talents doesn't specify what they did to invest in these talents? It didn't say, well, this person had the gifts of administration, so they planned this fundraiser, and that's how they received that extra five talents. Or, well, this person was a really good public speaker, and so they gave lots of speeches and received all of those talents back uh, and got their 100% return. It doesn't say any of those things, and I think that Jesus is making a point in that. Sometimes we have this idealized view that serving can only be done in that like one specific area or in that one idea that you feel like you have of which you can serve. And let me be clear. As a body of Christ, our hope and our goal, and I think uh, the body of Christ is there so that you do have your, your gifts and your abilities that God has given you to fit in a place of service. So I'm not negating that at any, in any way. But sometimes I think we can get so wrapped up in that idealized, perfect square that we must fill, that we actually miss out on serving in our everyday opportunities as needs are in front of us. Because it's easy to say, well, I don't have the gift of blank, so I can't serve that person. Or, well, that's not really one of my gifts, so I'll wait till somebody else who has that gift can come and minister to that person instead. But then we actually miss out on what Jesus is asking us to do. Because later in this passage, Jesus says, I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they who are gathered also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then Jesus will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And I think that's very clear that those things that Jesus said of not welcoming strangers, not clothing people, not visiting people, it it, it doesn't necessarily require a specific gift to do that. It just requires our eyes to see the needs presented in front of us and having a heart that's willing to steward those talents. And so sometimes our preference in serving must be trumped by the needs presented before us. Sometimes our preference in serving must be trumped by the needs presented before us. Because remember, it's not my talents. And so we see in this passage that stewing our talents has eternal reward and also eternal co- consequence. And we don't often talk about the, coming of, the second coming of Christ in church anymore. And I think it's because this topic has sometimes been said with the best of tensions, intentions and the worst of tone. But the scripture passage points to that idea of Jesus coming again. When we meet Jesus and He takes account of our life, will He say, "Well done, my good and faithful servant," like he did to the first two? Will he say that of my life? Because we have to make account for that. And I hope that this is a great motivation as we strive to have to say not my talents. And I hope that motivation is to hear the voice of Jesus say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And here's the thing. Giving an account at, at the end of your life or when Jesus comes again shouldn't motivate us to serve out of fear because that's not the point. The point is not to serve out of a fear, but to just serve out of faithfulness. It's not to serve out of fear. It's to serve out of faithfulness. So I used to have this thing called FOMO, and FOMO, if you're not quite sure, is the fear of missing out. And so my friends would go off somewhere, I would see this picture on Instagram, or I would be writing that paper or doing that thing, and my friends would be leaving to go do something fun, and I would feel this intense moment of FOMO, fear of missing out, where I am not a part of those things, and it's angsty, and it's frustrating, and it makes me sad, And I would feel that so often because I wanted to be a part of those fun things that were happening. I wanted to be a part of that really awesome time that they got to go to the lake and hang out while I was busy stuck in my room writing that paper. Um, And that FOMO was like really severe for me. But as my life began to change, and as I began to steward my talents, and as I began to see that my life is actually for Jesus and serving him, that FOMO shifted that fear of missing out shifted from those things of what my friends are doing, the fun things that are awesome, to having such an intense FOMO about the fear of missing out of what God has asked me to do. I have this intense FOMO, this fear of missing out, that I will miss out on what God has asked me to do, that I will miss out on that thing that he's asking me to step out in, that I will miss out on ministering to that person and maybe bringing them one step closer to knowing Jesus. And that FOMO has caused me to serve and to want to serve with great faithfulness. And it took me a really long time to get there. So I'm not standing here being like, well, you guys. Uh, I'm standing here saying that that FOMO, that fear of missing out of what God is doing has pushed me to serve and experience God in ways that I never could have before, in ways that I never would have experienced had I done that thing with those friends that one time. And so I hope that 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 FOMO, that fear of missing out begins to shift in our lives from mine, 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 mine to the fear of missing out of what God is doing in our lives. Because remember, he doesn't say, well done, my good and perfect servant. He says, faithful. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Because we aren't saved by our works. We aren't saved by our works. But doing good works comes as a response to the gift of salvation that we are given. And stewarding our talents is an investment in eternity. And so when we hear this story, it can be easy to ask also where they invested those talents. And God's plan for establishing his kingdom on earth is through his church. And I don't just mean these walls around us. I do mean like the capital C church, like you would say, of like the gathered body of believers. But our most major and, and foremost context right now is this local church. And I think the best investment that we can make in eternity happens through the church as God's bride, an intended way of spreading the good news of Jesus. And so this begs a hard question. And it begs a hard question that came out of a conversation that I had with one of my mentors this week. Do we still believe that the church is God's intended way of spreading his good news? Do we believe that the mission of the church is still God's intended way of spreading the gospel? Do we? And it can be easy to be like, yeah, of course, yeah, no, I do. But like, do we really? Because when we talk about stewardship, we say, not my time, not my treasures, not my family, not my talents, but we must also say, not my way. Not my way. And I believe that the church is still the hope of the world. I do really believe that it is. I believe that the local church is the hope of the world to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. I really do. I wouldn't have devoted my life to it if I didn't. And although it's not perfect, I believe that Jesus left each one of us with the responsibility to steward our talents through his intended way, by serving his church. Because if we're doing it right here by serving our church— we look outward and begin to serve our community and serve those people who are lost and serve those people who are broken and serve those people who come into our church that are lost and broken and need Jesus. And so I believe truly that the, that the hope of the world is still through the church as God's intended way of spreading the gospel. And so I want to ask that question again. Do you still believe in the mission of the church? And if so, does your service reflect that belief? Does your service reflect that belief? Because if we truly believe that the church is God's intended way of spreading the gospel, then I think a natural response is to serve him through this area and through this avenue. And so we see that giving an account at the end of our lives is a motivator to steward our talents well in the church as God's intended way. But I actually want to look at one more motivation to serve. Because when I circled back to that question that I asked at the beginning of the message— Which was, why is stewarding our talents something we do? I realized there was actually one really big motivator for me. That motivator is gratitude. It's gratitude. Stewarding our talents looks like gratitude in action. And that's because biblical gratitude is a verb, not a noun. And what I mean by that is that biblical gratitude is not just a feeling, but it is an action fulfilled in serving. And having an attitude of mine, 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 kills our ability to experience and express gratitude. It does, because we we begin to think of all those things as ours. And so unless you're going to thank yourself, it kills your ability to express and experience gratitude. Stewarding our talents is an investment in eternity, and it is motivated in the present by gratitude. And so my policeman tendencies, like I talked about at the beginning, are an expression of duty. And I think that duty is a great uh, thing to have, and and I value that in myself, that I have that sense of duty to continue on and on and on. But here's the thing. Duty isn't enough. It's not enough to spur us on to a lifetime of stewarding our talents. It's not. Duty in itself is not. And as I was researching the effect of gratitude on our brains, which is fascinating, by the way, I would encourage you to do that, I came across this quote. It says, striving to do the right thing out of a simple duty can be laudable or or noble. But duty is, at best, a mere backup motivation to a superior and more spontaneous source, joy and thankfulness. Striving to do the right thing out of simple duty can be laudable But duty is at best a mere backup motivation to a superior and more spontaneous source, joy and thankfulness. And this quote is from a website that talked about the discipline of gratitude. And the person writing it was not a believer. He was writing in a way that was uh, practices that anybody, no matter what their spiritual background, uh, could walk in. And yet it summed up perfectly that idea of biblical gratitude versus duty that it's a, it's, a, it's a more superior source of motivation. And as I looked at my life, and as, I've, and as I've reflected on my life, I realized that my life has much to be grateful for. Because in high school and in, in my earlier years, I lived a life that was far from Jesus. I said that I was a believer. My friends knew that across the road, my, my dad passed to that church. And yet I lived a life of radical, radical hypocrisy, where at my school I was a different person than when I would walk those 10 steps across to the church. When I partied my way through high school, when I lived a life in such a way that nobody could ever see that I actually had fruit of belief in Jesus. When I was very much living on the curtails of my parents' faith, which meant really nothing actually to me, I was far from him. And I rejected him. And I was not even just far from and rejecting, but I was also hypocritical of who he is. And as I began to pursue Jesus on my own, as I began to feel this deep and profound sense of purposelessness and hopelessness, Jesus never gave up on me during that time. He never did. Because I had great parents in my life who continued to pray for me and to fight with me so that I could continue to be pushed towards Jesus, because he never gave up on me, because even though I rejected him, not just once, not just twice, not just three times of what he wanted me to do, he didn't give up on me and still spoke to me through different avenues and different people and different moments. I, should be, I shouldn't be standing here. I shouldn't be able to be on this stage. And my plan was not to be. My plan was to have, you know, all the money and all the great job, and I was going to be a lawyer, and I was going to make lots of money, and it was going to be awesome, and I was going to do all of these great things. And yet, Jesus sent me on a path that is far more fulfilling than I could have ever hoped for. He set me on a path that has uh, allowed me to be shaped and mentored by great parents and family, to be shaped and mentored by great people at my school, to be given positions of leadership that I didn't deserve and positions of leadership that I uh, was given as a gift to be able to grow in my abilities to fail and to learn from. And none of those things was I actually really worthy of because I had rejected him so much and time and time again. But when I went on that path, he is brought me to places that I could have never hoped and never never experienced. And it fills me with such great gratitude for who he is, for the grace that he has given me, for the salvation that I have in him, because it means in those time and time again of all of my 20 something years before that I didn't really like live for him, that he would still give me another chance, and another chance, and another chance. That I At the beginning of my time here at Evangel, when I stood here and was prayed over by uh, some of the pastors and board, and they said that they were doing a love offering for me, you guys were so generous to me, so generous to me, like, like, speechlessly generous towards me. And I remember when I received that love offering, the thing that I said was, Lisa, receiving this makes me want to work harder. And that's because I try as best as I can to live a life of gratitude. And because that gratitude pushes me to serving more and to serving in a way that will glorify him more. And so gratitude is one of the biggest motivators that we can have. And so the question that I have for you this morning is when was the last time you took inventory of the things that you were to be grateful for? When was the last time? Are you feeling that sense of, laboring through serving, are you feeling the frustration of feeling overworked and like your serving is not doing anything meaningful, can I ask you to maybe take a moment to express and experience and to take inventory of the things that we are to be grateful for? Because I truly believe that that will motivate us, that will put wind in our sails, that will allow that duty to shift from something that is duty to a superior and more spontaneous source of joy and thankfulness. And so I'm gonna invite the worship team to come up and we're just gonna take a couple minutes and we're gonna do that exact thing. We're gonna take inventory of the things that we have to be grateful for. And so if you wanna stand, uh, we're just gonna sing a song quickly. But I want you guys to, to really take inventory of what you're grateful for. And then what I want you to do is ask the question, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do with this gratitude? Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do With this gratitude. And so we're going to sing a song just quickly. I know that we're getting to the end uh, of our our time together, but we're going to sing this song because I think it's important to carve out moments to be able to experience and to rise in that gratitude again. And so if you guys stand with me, I'm going to pray and uh, we'll jump into that. Holy Spirit, thank you that we can invest and steward our talents in eternity. Lord, I pray that as we briefly sing this song, that you would reveal to us those things that we have to be grateful for. Ultimately, Jesus, the thing that we are to be most grateful for is the salvation that you give us and that you offer us freely and that takes us out of the the realms and, and pangs of death into life and eternity with you. And so, Jesus, may you reveal to us, may you open our eyes and our hearts to what you have done for us and may that continue to spur us to great great action in service. Jesus, we love you and we pray that you, and we ask that you would reveal yourself this morning.